welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi, usually two episodes at a time, but today we're covering three. So before we start, two things. Spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear, so hide your baby's ears. My name is Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific Islander literature and film studies at Bates College. And and I also end up. Uh, I also teach classes on uh, graphic narrative um, and cartoons and other nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture. Um, teach classes related to those areas as well as digital writing, um, composition, literature, and whatever else gets thrown into English these days. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I teach at DePaul University in the Department of Women and Gender Studies and Sexuality Studies. Like Jacinta, I teach whatever gets thrown under the umbrella of feminist studies. Um, so right now I'm teaching global and transnational LGBTQ politics, um, courses on gender and sexual violence. And my area of research really falls in line with transnational global feminist studies and transnational global sexuality studies. I'm Brendan Shaw. I'm a professor of English in the Humanities Department at Central State University, where I teach a lot of freshman composition, as well as African-American literature and gender and sexuality studies courses. All right. So um, we're covering three episodes today, uh, the first of which is I Want Candy. Um, and this episode starts with our grade 10s well, some of them at least, feeling some type of way about school, life, uh, adolescence, who knows, right? Um, apparently, Ash is skipping, ditching, playing sick at home because she's feeling emotional. Um, and Paige and Spinner are also very tired of school as well. Um, maybe they are living their 2020 life in the past, who knows. Um, but they are tired and they don't wanna to go to school anymore, uh, or at least not for a day. So Paige and Spinner decide to cut school and they're gonna go off um, and do shenanigans with Dylan's car because Dylan is the real MVP when it comes to vehicles in this show. Um, and so, Basically, they're trying to think about what all they're going to do. Um, Paige has homework to give to Ash because uh, Ash has been out of school for a couple days already. Um, and because she's taking Ash that homework, she decides that Ash should come along with them on their cutting school spree as well. Ash has been at home melancholy um, and her mom is concerned and such. Um, and Ash doesn't really want to go out, but Paige coerces. Spinner's not a fan of this, but you know, whatever. So this motley crew goes about town, um, getting in all sorts of shenanigans, um, including but not limited to mini golf movies, arcade, uh, museum, and a restaurant where they accidentally dine and dash, um, sort of accidentally. 
at any rate, <laughs> um, throughout this time, um, Ash is still being melancholy. They find they go to see Perry, which Ash has been putting off doing, but she can barely stand to stay in the room. Um, she thinks Degrassi's curse, and then she reveals that she's considering um, leaving Degrassi next year. Eventually, Paige gets fed up with Ash's drama, um, <laughs> and they have a little bit of an argument, um, and Ash ultimately resolves this situation by joining an impromptu Elvis impersonation competition at the mall, question mark, um, and, and uh, they have a good old time with that. She goes home, her mom's there, like, where have you been? You were supposed to be sick. Why? Shenanigans. <laughs> um, but she's happy to see that Ash is happy once again. So that's our main plot. And then in our B plot, um, <laughs> so Alex and Emma are not getting along. And this is just in general. But Emma also has other stuff going on. Um, and she gets in trouble in class because of JT, as, as you do. And, um, so she's looking, they have to defrag all the computers in the lab, which I don't think is a punishment that one actually gives in school, but whatever. So <laughs> they're doing this, um, and she's going to Snake's computer, um, and she sees his will on the computer, which this is not very good security you have on this computer snake, but whatever. Um, and so she gets upset because she sees the will. Um, and as she's upset, she runs into Alex and they, again, are button heads, which ultimately like turns into girl fight in the hallway. Um, and they're just throwing, throwing fisticuffs about. Um, and then obviously their fight gets broken up. Although that's you know it's a significant fight. Their fight gets broken up, and um, later on Emma's got this black eye situation going on. <laughs> um, and her and Snake are talking, and he finds out that she found out about the will, and she's upset and all this stuff. Um, and she thinks it means he's gonna die. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I was just getting my ducks in a row. And she's like, y'all got to talk to me about this stuff because you like sending me over the edge, which, you know, is standard, Emma. Um, but this is the position they put her in. So <laughs> um, so he agrees to take her to the, their next meeting to find out about the chemo. And it turns out at the meeting that Snake is in remission. The end. And there was much rejoicing. Yay. Woo. <laughs> B plot is way more important than A plot. B -B -B. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> B plot is so meandering. Yes. And also, like, as usual, as we've said before, it's like Emma is annoying, but also Emma is like the tool through which we learn everything about the adults or this side right. of the adults. It's like yeah. 
So she has to be in a fight so that we can learn he's in remission. Like they couldn't have just had that. <laughs> right, right. Find that out anyway. Right. I mean, also his laptop is not just unsafe; it's literally open in the classroom with the wheel open on. Right. It. Did yeah, he like, not learn anything from being from his last laptop, quote unquote, getting lost? <laughs> well, I mean, and this not. is the thing: like, there's no, there's, there's no lock. There's no passwords. There's no. <laughs> well, and also, if you've asked a bunch of children to like defrag your computer, you make sure that, like, I don't know, the will is saved and closed and that you have no programs <laughs> open on your computer. Like, I, and just also don't let children defrag your computer. I just, like, the, <laughs> like this, this guys, B plot guys, is such a I, whirlwind. Hold on, T.O., T.O. What does it mean? What is defragging a computer? <laughs> uh, I, it's like, so like, there's like little bits of information that kind of get like, I don't know, like when you make a file and then you delete a file, like, like remnants of it, like stick around. Um, and so like what you're, what you're doing. This sounds not real. Like it basically <laughs> just like I'm consolidates kidding. all of your free space so that you can like have more free space. It's the equivalent of like when you clean out your cookies online. Yeah, because okay. it's just like extra information that doesn't need to be there. That's you'll have up to forgive me. I I re- I have resisted any sort of pee wee PC pee wee software PC <laughs> software my whole life. So I was going to ask our resident help desk expert Jacinta. Didn't you do? Didn't you do help desk? Yeah, I mean, yes, I. But I used to. Yes, I worked for. I worked for Apple though. <laughs> I, I used to. Yeah, so I'm like, what are these made up words that Snake is requiring? To do? Um, but I mean, I do know like enough about that to understand. Like, like when you delete things, they don't really get deleted. They just sort of go into the background to get written over. Yeah, I mean, I used. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to derail the combo, but I was like, "What is that? That sounds like a thing." Also, though, I would, I would think, like, again, in in a similar vein, if I'm gonna have them defrag all the computers in the lab, I would tell them to not do my computer. (laughs) Like, my computer would be separate from all the other computers. Also, wouldn't he do that all the time? Like, like. I mean, like, this is, yeah. The B plot is very important, but it's so shabby and it's really just like Emma's in a mood already and then they just throw more shit at her, right? Because they're like, Emma's in a mood. Let's put Alex in her path over and over again. Let's have her find a way. Like, it's just. It's a weird. There's a. And I thought. I mean, the, the. It's a set of dominoes falling over. It's not a coherent plot, yeah. and and I think that that is like some I thought, of the shagginess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that um, the fight was very satisfying in a weird way. Yeah. Maybe. Absolutely. And I thought it was hilarious that Alex is like. Oh, you with your holier than thou attitude. When Alex also has a holier than thou attitude, and literally is like little girl, and I'm like, you're not that much older than her within the story <laughs> right. world. Also, oh, no. we don't like you. Uh, pretty sure. Oh, Alex. No, I did. I did like the way she said, "Go away, little girl. You're yeah. annoying me." <laughs> because that is also how I feel about. Oh, I, I hated Alex. I'm sorry. I hated Alex in this episode because but, she was just there to be annoying. 
It sucks for Alex because, like, if Emma's going through it, Lord knows Alex is going through it 20 times worse than Emma. Like, at some point, we'll get some Alex backstory. But Alex, justice for Alex, too, that she has to exist in a world <laughs> that revolves around Emma. Nah, I don't know that backstory. I don't care. It's not in the episode. I'm sorry. This is the problem. And it comes in the next episode, too. And yeah. just told me this. These older characters, their function right now is to just be a drag on everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I have no sympathy for them. And so they just feel at this point like their role, they're here more often now, but their role is really just to be a, like mm -hmm. sand in the gears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they also, but this is also the problem. I mean, they also stand in for a certain class narrative. And this is where Degrassi really fucks it up because they are the, the, unsupervised kids in the trade school, you know, it just feeds into certain stereotypes about low-income white kids, too. And it yeah, really well, and in the second like, episode, I mean, yeah. the next episode, I think that's more. Here, Alex is just annoying at school. Yeah. I'm not going to give away any details, but, like, I think next season, you'll find out that they all hang out at the ravine. It's <laughs> like, such a, such a Face <laughs> that it will become important, but <laughs> just oh look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think you are right, Sana, that we are to read that, like, the behind of the issues between Emma and that and her and this idea that she's holier than thou is about class. It's also about Sean, yeah. though. I mean, I think it's unfortunate yeah. mm -hmm. that it gets, it gets mapped onto this, like, we both were with this guy narrative right. so it's hard to disentangle it wait it's just also wait alex i thought it was no no and, right. i don't see amy i don't i can't amy amy was amy. the one with oh see there's so many amy with, amy with the bag. i don't even know why they have beef with each other i just don't even understand it because of her clothes, her voice, her hair, and her holier-than-thou attitude. Yeah. But then it makes even less sense to me. I mean, that, that's why I just well, really... Okay. It's just to get her to Well, fight. but I mean, like, Alex is friends with Amy, who dated Sean. And also, like, like, mm -hmm. like there have been... I mean, Emma's response and inner response to you and interactions with Sean in front of that group of friends like included Alex and so like I think that there's a way in which like there is like we have been set up for there to be tension even though that tension hasn't been directly between Alex and Emma like as as directly as it is in this episode and I mean, they're definitely they're definitely on opposite sides although technically one could argue that Emma doesn't have a side so much as it's Emma and then like the bad kids on the other side. I mean Emma the doesn't have are like awful to her. Yeah. But in the the squad Emma doesn't have a squad per se. <laughs> um so she sort of has beef with the whole group. Yeah, I don't I know, and it's such a lost opportunity that they should be fighting because their their politics regarding gender are very much in line in terms of not taking shit from dudes. I just, I look forward to the day when Alex gets a story. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I didn't mean, even say right? it now. Sorry. No, <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's hard because, like, I don't know any of that, and I just don't no, like it. No, it's fun. 
It's fine. And I think one of the things that you said, Jacinta, about Jay is that he gets fleshed out. And I do think these characters yeah. all get fleshed out. But on the flip side, it's hard for me to feel that way because some characters never really do. Like Liberty never, no. like, yeah. it just comes every once in a blue moon. Right. Um, no, no, no. There are definitely ones that pop up and hang out for a minute and they don't get any development at all. And also, there's a race component too, because Alex is Latina, and like I don't know, Degrassi just is hor like it's horrible at at having foils to Emma. It just really pisses me off. Well, but also there is this thing that, as Jacinta said, Emma has no is given no people anymore. Really, I mean, she does have people, and then in this episode, it's. I mean, it's interesting because this plot matters more, but I found the other plot much more satisfying. The sort of like uh, Ferris Bueller sort of Mm -hmm. aesthetic of like, let's skip. And the hilarity that like when Paige is like, what is your fantasy of a perfect day? Like Spinner is obsessed with mini golf. Mm -hmm. And like, I really liked that. Um, I don't know that I... I'm all in on, I feel like we're supposed to land on agreeing with the fact that Ashley's just a drag and she needs to get over it. And I feel like the episode's attitude towards depression is like, well, we don't really like Ashley when she's depressed. Mm -hmm. Depression is something you just need to get over. And also, I I mean, if we're going to talk about that, like, I think that what, one of the things that I found most interesting about that storyline was pages, um, pages sort of, patience with or or like whatever her sort of relationship with Ashley is tested in this in this episode and she moves from defending her to Spinner to basically saying you're the problem Ashley to back to defending Ashley from Paige or from Spinner and so like like I also was really confused about like why I mean like I don't know. It's such a radical shift. And it's, I know that Paige is often the mean girl, but like that seemed very, very mean to then sort of like back off of immediately. So like, I, I guess like for me, there was also this sort of roller coaster aspect to that, like that, that seemed a little like definitely higher stakes. Um, and also a little bit more confusing because like we all get mad at our friends, but like that was a very mean thing to say it was that she is the problem and it's going to follow her wherever she goes. Yeah. I do think we're I supposed mean, to, well, I was just going to say, I think, cause there's this, my oldest friend thing that she says all the time. Mm-hmm. And I do think we're supposed to understand that Paige feels a certain responsibility for Ashley. Mm-hmm. And that is evident in the fact that she basically badgers her into coming out with them. And I think ultimately it's to a good end. But when she goes after Ashley later for her attitude, I'm like, bitch, she was in bed. And like, not that maybe she right. didn't need to go do something, but like she actively said, I don't want to come. And your boyfriend. So mm-hmm. I do think maybe part of it is supposed to be that Paige, I don't think it's maybe written as well as it could be, but Paige is conflicted too about her relationship to Ashley and a kind of mm-hmm. responsibility she has towards her. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think like it's definitely a lot of frustration, right? Possibly because like, obviously she had to coerce, 
Spinner into having Ash along with him, but now Ash is not like brightening up while they're out. So she feels frustrated with that situation too, which leads to her lashing out, but also she still cares about Ash. So like it's a jumble of things. I would also like to note that the accidental dine and dash happened at the one fancy restaurant in town <laughs> where Marco and his parents coerced him and Dylan into an accident. Oh, yeah. double date. And this waiter is truly going through it <laughs> this season because now he done got stuck with the bill of these children who ran out the door. Because they, because they I saw their principal. I did write in my notes that Right, well, on right. for the hot blonde, which could be Miss Hypolacus. We don't know. Um, no, a I date think why not? No, I'm <laughs> I don't think it was her, but I did do a sort of like, wait, is that Miss Hypolacus? Since there's only like five adults in Degrassi. <laughs> um, I did write in my notes also. Do they only know one restaurant? Well, if it's so, that, is I mean, the like. Dot. We're supposed to understand this is in Toronto, right? Like, there's more than one fancy restaurant in Toronto. Well, they call it T.O. Like, uh, uh, Baby Drake, Jimmy called it T.O. in the last episode. So, yeah, yeah they're in Toronto. They just there's you know, one restaurant. <laughs> yeah, there, there is more than one restaurant. Um, they stay in their borough, Can we please, please, please talk about this Ashley Evanescence dreamscape song that is happening at the begin, beginning of this episode that then gets reprised as an Elvis song later? It's the same lyrics. It is. It is. Uh, and Minnie E, he was into it. Baby Elvis was into the, the new <laughs> lyrics Elvis song. It supports my theory from last episode that Ashley can go cross genre. <laughs> that is her ability. Touche. <laughs> She's a crossover oh, artist. Crossover artist for our times. For no, I mean, it is, that is like, I wrote Ashley's depression song before I even knew that this episode was going to be about her depression, which they never really call her depression, right? It's mm-hmm. like mental health conversations are only accessible to certain characters. And she's, cause I thought when, so early in the episode, right? Her mom says, you know what you need to do. And I thought that meant like, you need to go see a therapist, but it ultimately is that this depression is, partially about what happened to Terry and her mm-hmm. anxiety about seeing Terry. Um, but Which yeah. I guess, by the way, I didn't mention that. I mean, I did mention, but we did get to see Terry briefly. Yes, and she's awake and her hair looks and, really nice. And we also got to see her gnarly scar like I, I, that was a lot and i understood that it was there to like make ashley also yeah. uncomfortable but like like mm, i mean we could have we could have done without that thanks agree i mean fair. we all know that ashley takes on other people's traumas first so she didn't even have to see it she could have just you know written a song about it Again, I shut down the conversation. What am I? Am I just no. off? Like, what? No, I no, no. You're I fine. I, just, cut that. I don't know what to say about. I mean, because I think 
it's hard in this episode because I just like totally felt for Ashley. I mean, she's over the top. I think Ashley, like Emma, right? These are our two white ladies at the show is like, we want you to be chaos machines that drive plot, but we also want you to be sympathetic. And so it doesn't always work. And mm-hmm. here it's like, and the over the top depression we've seen before, we've seen this like evanescence dreamscape before, but then it was like about her love for Jimmy. Right. Right. And so it was hard for me to be like, oh, this is supposed to signal something different. Cause on this day when she wears black, it's because she's depressed and not because it's Tuesday. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's so true. Um, and also the mall remains wild. I wrote this in my notes because we said it just simply you commented like the mall customer. The mall is just a wild hellscape dream space where they're you just have Christmas carnivals. You're just walking yeah, through. Elvis impersonations. <laughs> and Who it's knows? Just like, you can just join in, put on a costume, and go. Well, and go not ham. only go ham, go, go ham. ham like with your own lyrics. Like, like what in what world is this an Elvis impersonation that you will win third place with? You know, like you're not singing any Elvis song. You're barely sound like Elvis. I'll, I mean, like I get the sort of like I don't know. There is a nod there, but like you're you're literally just wearing a very oversized like. Uh, Elvis costume that you borrowed off of some rando dude, by the way. Like, I just, like, it is all so mm-hmm. much. And, but, I mean, like... Y'all, I think... Go I, ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I have, a, I have another theory that Ashley's been growing her hair this entire season <laughs> for this moment of having weird... <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Karen Elvis hair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are we happy with how it ends? I did find the end satisfying yeah. for Ashley. And I mean, I do think it does have that sort of Ferris Bueller feeling slash also we're trying to talk about depression. Well, we're I mean, like also bit. to hitting some of the um, same beats because like, I don't think that they're, unless they're literally doing the, the homage to Ferris Bueller, like I don't understand why else they would end up in an art museum because like, I don't understand a world where any of them other than Ashley would like want to be there. And maybe that was Ashley's choice, her sort of second choice. No, it was Paige. Paige wanted oh, okay. She kept saying um, culture. But I, I mean, like, I liked the little, I liked the little montage that they had where they play air hockey and then like Spinner is crying at the movie and both of the girls think that that's very sweet. Um, so like, I mean, like there were definitely like, <laughs> parts of it that were very cute and I appreciated it just like for me it felt like the writing was just really slapdash kind of on both of them and they seem to want this to be an episode about growing up in the real world Mm -hmm. right because at the beginning we have this weird scene where Ms. Hazalakis is like you have to draw three molecules in a week and the class is like oh (laughs) a week and then her response is like, welcome to the real world. And I was like, I'm sorry, but that's the stressor well, I, here. That's, oh the stress. that's I don't think that's what we oh do in the, well, the, real, the real world. Guys, let's start using that with no. our students when we assign. No. Welcome to the uh, real world. They'll be like, fuck 
Well, I mean, I think that the bigger point was that like it was that they had to start learning cumulatively and like not just studying for a test, but like actually like building on previous knowledge. Uh, but also three molecules. And the answer is, and I know, well, it's interesting because if they set it up to be other real world, then the answer right, is of course, Elvis. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does. It is plot twist. Ah. She's been Elvis the whole time. I mean, it's I've true. never seen her and Elvis in the same room. So I support any <laughs> Ashley conspiracy theories. I'm all here for it. Uh, do we want to transition to our house? We already started started talking about, or sure. as I like to think of it, the trap house. Oh God. Why? I love, I, I love our house. house. It is absolutely berserk, but I love it. Okay, so here's here's what happened. So we start off with our favorite <laughs> Slim Shadies getting caught at the mall where all the important things happen, stealing DVDs. Um, as a result of this, they get banned from Mall J and Sean. Um, luckily, Sean is no longer on probation. Ridiculous boy. Um, uh, and Tracker gives him a, a stern talking to as much as Tracker can. Um, but <clears throat> it turns out that Tracker's gotten a job in Alberta. Now, most of us may or may not be super high up on our Canadian geography, but Alberta is not Toronto. And so <laughs> um, this would require them moving. And Sean, this this is right before finals. Sean's like, if we move, I'll lose my whole year. I already lost a year of school. Now, this seems extreme because I feel like we could work out a plan for this, but whatever. Um, Sean goes to school and breaks up with Ellie uh, because he's moving tomorrow. Um, he goes to his shop class, where which is, you know, the only class he actually likes. Um, he talks to Mr. L, the teacher, about it. Uh, Mr. L recognizes the significance of the situation um, and talks to Sean about student welfare. Um, they have a good bond and all that stuff. So Sean basically tells Tracker he ain't going. Um, he's getting student welfare. Mr. L's going to be his sponsor, so on and so forth. Tracker's like, fine, whatever. You can stay here. The rent's paid till the end of the month. But you're going to be running back to me soon enough. Ellie and Sean get back together in a very dramatic hallway situation. <laughs> Again, the hallway where many other important things happen. Um, and then he starts living his quote-unquote best life. Um, he's a uh, man of the house by himself, so to speak. Um, his house becomes the party spot. He says it's our house, referring to him and all his homies. Um, and then they start partying. Uh, but the thing is, like, Sean's still trying to do his homework. He does want to pass his classes, but he's having a hard time because Jay keeps rolling in with 50 people um, to party hardy. Um, while Sean and Ellie are trying to work and hang out and whatever. And they are still having a good time or whatever. Sean and Ellie hang out with everybody, too. Um, but on one night in particular, Jay shows up with the quote-unquote Montreal crew. <laughs> and it gets quickly out of hand. There's fighting and disruption and chaos. 
Amy gets super drunk, tries to keep hitting on Sean. Ellie has to uh, <clears throat> intervene, so to speak, and it's the whole situation. Eventually, Amy goes and passes out in the bathroom. Uh, Alex freaks out about that. Uh, Jay thinks it's no big deal. She'll be fine. Sean is like, nah, man, she is literally passed out. She can be dying. So they call 911, of course. Or what? Do can they call them? They call for help. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, uh, the the help shows up. Amy ends up, you know, how she, you know, ultimately is okay. Um, Sean goes and talks to Mr. L about it. And he's like, I understand if you don't want to sponsor me anymore. Uh, Mr. L's like, you know, you're going to have to prove yourself. And Sean's like, I'm going to do it and blah, blah, blah. So Mr. L signs on to sponsor him. And it seems like Jay and Sean have a breakup at the end. <laughs> so maybe um, Sean is going to have some growth. Okay. And that's more or less where that ends up. Um, our other plot here is, oh, Manny and, uh, Manny and JT, as we've talked about previously, have been doing this little flirtation tango, um, and the dance is coming up, and JT really wants to ask Manny. Spinner tries to talk him out of it with, uh, all of his Spinner-esque finesse, which is none. Um, basically alluding to Manny being easy and such and such, blah, blah, blah. Uh, JT is not fully deterred by that, but when he sees her talking with Craig, he thinks she and Craig are getting back together. Liberty, who is still with Towers, um, just, just so we all know, um, and is not interested in JT anymore, as she clarifies, because she is in love with Towers. Um, she... Uh, she tries to, you know, give JT some support in asking out Manny. She tells Manny that JT wants to ask her out. So when Manny tries to talk to JT about it, he suddenly doesn't want to ask her out because he thinks she's back with Craig. And then they get in a little argument about that. Um, and eventually they reconcile at the end and he asks her to the dance. So they're all good on that front. And this episode, and that's it. Yes. Nicely done. I... So to clarify my comment about the trap house thing, there's a joke. It was what I told Jacinta. It's not that I think it's just the swiftness with which it's like a switch is switched and suddenly mm -hmm. it's like a house that's full of all the, it's like right. the Jimmy parties where it's like all these people appear out of nowhere mm -hmm. and the show really leans heavily into this, like this group of people is always soundtracked with hip hop music. Mm -hmm. And it's like dark and foreboding. And Smoky. so, yeah. <laughs> and it's like the show. So I don't think that's what it is, but I think the show doesn't. It's one of those mm -hmm. times when the show doesn't, like, it wants things to be gritty, but it also is like, there's not a good build, we'll say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's all I meant. But it is hilarious to me, their attempts to be adult, but not adult. Is mm -hmm. like, and I I think the the earnestness of like all Sean really thinks this means is that he gets to have yes milk chocolate milk and cake for breakfast mm -hmm. and his <laughs> a mood who doesn't who does well it? I mean in in, in that scene too and I think that it's interesting that like in this episode we see Sean 
sort of literally, I mean, not like stripped, but like he, he we don't get him with like the took a uh, beanie. We don't get him with the beanie. There's a lot of shots where we don't get him with the beanie and, and a hoodie over it and everything. So like, like, it's him sort of like existing on his own and like he just looks so much younger that way and so like that scene where where he like it's this first morning living on his own and he his breakfast literally is chocolate cake and chocolate milk uh and it's just like and he's and he's just wearing like a tank top and he just looks mm -hmm. so young and i'm like oh this is like this is gonna end so badly because <laughs> like mm -hmm. he like I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously, like, I think that this episode really wants us to consider, like, the, 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 this real juxtaposition between, like, who Sean is and who Sean presents himself to be and how those two things are battling, like, for prominence, especially in relation to who he hangs out with. And so, like, I think that, like, Ellie as his girlfriend is an interesting sort of, like, mitigating or mediating factor in like how all of this goes down because like she's not like controlling him she's not telling him what to do but I think that like his consideration for her and like or like him dating her like has and and just like getting caught shoplifting I'm sure also like he's just reconsidering this relationship with Jay and and these other folks in different ways that I don't know I think that the the episode is doing a lot. The writers are doing a lot to try to make this very clear what the stakes are and what like and and what is actually internally mm -hmm. going on with Sean. But I am very sad. Oh, just but I yeah, am very so sad that we won't get to see Chris Holden oh, Reed popping up occasionally as much anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, I'll just go ahead and say this right? is my prediction, but I'm also very sad about it that like we won't get to see Chris Holden Reed as Tracker occasionally grace our <laughs> It's true. No, it's so true. At the beginning of the episode, I said, I'm bored with bad boy Sean, but I'm so happy to see Dyson. And then at the end of the show, I said, I'm so sad to not get to see Dyson anymore. That's all I know him as. Like, I never watched that one, but he was on. That's his character <laughs> No, but he was I also. He the vacuum cleaner. It is like queer. It's queer canon I, I, it is on my list to show, watch it's, it's on my list to watch so um, but I actually know him from another Canadian show uh, it's a sci-fi show called Dark Matter which is very good it's so good it's so fucking oh, good Amelia loves that show it's like one of her favorites <laughs> so I had forgotten that Sean and Ellie were ever together like I literally in my notes was like forgot about these two <laughs> And then they later, together like three episodes. Ago. I know, but but it was so like whatever. And then I wrote Ellie and Sean are so pale together in my notes. Um, they are in I, Canada. They are so pale. Like there's like these scenes because because everything is so dark, and there's like all these shots of them sort of around. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't saying. I just I had forgotten, but I do think that. Daniel Clark is yes. gets better at acting in this episode than he has in the past. I think, and the writing for him is better. And so often, he the point of entry into him is like someone that he's in conflict with, or as we've said, just talked about Emma always 
because of her character, exhausts the people around her. So I think having it be Ellie, and we can talk about the class politics, like Sana was saying, of the group, like that sort of takes over this house. But I think the class politics between the two of them are interesting because obviously Ellie is in a much like better, you know, is like upper middle class. But the point of connection in part is that both of them are people that for different reasons have had to parent themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen in the Ellie episode earlier that like she has an alcoholic mother who essentially is not there and her father's always away. And so she has to parent herself. And that is obviously on display, especially, and like my partner pointed out, like when like what's her face is passed out, right? She knows exactly what to do. She's, mm, yeah, right, right, she's right. the one. After I screwed it up last episode, I wasn't going to say it's an A person. Uh, and so, like, <laughs> she but I also think she knows she, I mean, in some ways, we can see how maybe she is a better fit in this moment for Sean than Emma was because she's not overbearing in her desire mm-hmm. to take care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that was interesting. Now, the politics of the rest of the crew that just, like, descends on this house. I mean, (laughs) talk about economy of narrative, right? Like, Tracker is gone like that. He gets welfare like that. It becomes the party spot like that. I'm snapping. It doesn't make any sense in a podcast. But it's an interesting, like, I don't know, move. Sometimes Degrassi is in hyperspeed, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And we're not getting split screen montages. Give us some split screen montages. Now I'm snapping too. There was there wasn't a split screen, but there was a montage, yeah. and we see that we sort of. True, true. I mean, like there are at least three or four distinct parties right. um, until the Montreal crew shows <laughs> up. Which what? I'm sorry, y'all are teeny. Because it's also like um, Sean's having problems at school. He's falling asleep. He's not getting his project done in shop. And so all this partying is impacting his schoolwork that he's trying to finish. And he has to keep his grades up in order to uh, get the student welfare. So it is all a conundrum. Which, can, I mean, like, I had never heard of such a thing before. But, like, I mean, go Canada yeah. for having, like, this, I mean, I've heard, this option I know available. there's, like, obviously, like, emancipation here, but that seems to take much more work than what Canada did. Right. Right. Also, shouts yeah. to Mr. L, the, the best teacher at Degrassi. <laughs> he is the best yeah, teacher. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, like, at least, I mean, like, you know, uh, I mean, we haven't seen him much on the pedagogy front, but like, you know, he is definitely there to to connect with this he connects with his students for sure experiential learning hands-on learning yeah (laughs) and he's patient there's no class shaming there's no parent shaming right he's just he's just real he lives in the real world (laughs) well and also like the real world (laughs) is just comprehensive learning (laughs) molecules Cumulative, yes. Yeah, sorry. Cumulative. And comprehensive, both. That's what the real world is like. (laughs) I almost said Dr. L. Mr. L is like, you know what? 
you're just trying to stay awake right now, and I'm going to help you. I mean, I will say... So he, he's he's much more connected to, like, understanding the real world than, like, Katalakos is in, in this episode, learning. for sure. He is, yeah. He's on the cutting edge of pedagogy. Well, and just, like, also recognizing the fact that, like, in life as in school like all sorts of personal shit like comes to bear on how we sort of interact with you this man we also just don't really see most of the other teachers like identifying with individual students except snake and that doesn't count because that's a different situation like we don't really see miss kwan or mr armstrong or that one other guy whose name i can't remember we don't really see them like Miss Quad and Spinner sort of have a thing, though, where she's yeah. sort of trying to get him through. Right? But that mostly involves her harassing. But that's but but that's what Spinner needs. That's what Spinner needs, no, though. Saying, yeah. I will say if you wonder about experiential learning more than anyone, we've had more <laughs> plot happen with Miss Kwan making them do weird trust falls and plays. <laughs> like, think of how many episodes are because Miss Kwan asked them to read something. <laughs> or actually, yeah, but no. I think Mr. L is great in this episode um, for that reason, for sure. Also, the, the normalizing disability is another thing I appreciate about Mr. L and Degrassi, which will unpack all their other problematic disability stuff in future episodes. But with Mr. L, they just do it right. I, I like him. Yeah, it's too bad that they didn't have an actor who had a disability play in a, a person with a disability. Oh, I didn't know that. Because I looked them up because I recognized the actor and I was like, oh, so it is cool because I had the same thought. I agree. Um, it's just because in the in the world of the show, which doesn't undercut what you're saying, for 2004, 2005, it's still a big deal that he's just there, and his plot is not. We have to deal with a teacher in a chair, right? Um, right. No, I liked him a lot. Right. I also because the other so, thing too, I was just when I was watching the Mr. L interactions with Sean, I was thinking about all of the care labor that some identified faculty have to deal with and and thinking about teaching and, and all of the drains of teaching. And I was like, here's a public school teacher teaching in auto mechanics, and he's about to take on a full-on human being responsibility on top of all the other, probably 90 other students that he has to work with on a daily basis. And I was like, this man, how many teachers do we know? And we probably know a lot more than others, but how many teachers do we know that's like, I'm going to take on a, a full guardianship of this person and do it in stride and also with grace. Like, I, th- I just really appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like they probably pay better in Canada, so. It doesn't mean it's not a lot of labor. Good I'm Lord. just saying. I just Thank feel God like they probably do. Thank God it was a male teacher, too. I was like, Usually, it's the women teachers that have to take on this sort of parentage and all that shit. Yeah, uh, but can you imagine? Having... Can you imagine Sean having this conversation with Miss Kwan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Miss Kwan is interesting. Thing what you just said, Sonnet, because in some ways her affect is a resistance to the assumption oh, that absolutely. she would. Whereas yeah. Ms. Pazalakis, we did see some of this in those that episode with JT, mm-hmm. right? When they have to navigate his right. like, 
hot for teacher, but then she is sort of trying to help him deal with his like masculinity stuff. Um, which in some ways I do think this season is kind of coming home to roost because in this episode, the sort of very small B plot is JT's desire to ask Manny out and his resistance to Spinner's kind of gross narrativizing of Manny. Mm -hmm. And then even at the end, Manny assumes that he assumed something about her and Craig that he didn't. He just assumed they were back together. Mm -hmm. Manny is so used to, and this has been like, this has been bubbling behind for a couple episodes. It was back in the advertising episode too. Um, I do think one of the problems here, and based on what you said, Jacinta, is that Jay just never really gets much depth. At the end of the episode, mm-hmm. there's a suggestion of some depth mm-hmm. when he asks after Amy and... Amy. Yeah, oh, yeah, Amy. yeah. And, like, there's a beat where you assume he'll be a shithead about it, mm-hmm. and he isn't... But you can tell that there's work, and that's like the only space so far I at least have seen where I'm like, oh, Jay is a person and not just a character whose role is to be a sociopath as he's introduced to us. Yeah. Yeah. And part of me sometimes wonders with things like that if if they were like intentionally meant to stick around or not. Because sometimes, you know, shows introduce characters who are only supposed to be around for a few episodes, but then the audience likes them, so they keep them around. Um, so I wonder sometimes if it was something like that, um, if they, you know, intended these characters to last longer. I mean, by having Towers date Liberty, they are also building a bridge to the group that isn't just Jay is the, like, the the devil one. Right. So far, his only yeah. role is But when are we... When are we going to get a Liberty and Towers plot, though? Instead of just like a strip of a strip of like photos, yeah, 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 a strip of photos from like a photo booth. Like that's we got. That's what that's all we've got right now. That's all you're getting. And then JT has to ruin. Yeah, JT has to ruin that by making. No, that's the worst. That's the only thing. That was the place where it's like, literally, what the fuck? And it's entirely un... So for folks who haven't seen the episode recently, he makes a comment about it looking like like a booking photo. And I think the episode wants it to just be like, this is the group of people that are the criminals in this school. But it's obviously also the only Black kid that we see regularly who isn't Chris who or Jimmy, and specifically the Black kid in that crew. Um, and it's kind of foul, and it's right. never commented on. So I feel like the uh, the writers want it to just be a comment on the crew being older. And I do love I do love that Liberty sticks her tongue out at JT when he says that. Yeah. But like, I wish that like like I mean like clearly she reacts in a way that shows that it's bullshit. But like, I would have liked for her to have mm-hmm. said something instead of just moving right into like helping uh, JT and Manny get together. Yeah. Is Towers in the party scenes? I think he's in the background, but Liberty's yeah. not there. Yeah, I no, he is. I was like, if Liberty's there, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> Liberty's there cleaning up the chip bowls. 
I mean, Liberty would have feelings about the world famous Avril Lavigne impression. She'd be like, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot. I forgot about Amy's Avril impression. Oh my oh. god. Brendan, do you think that Sean and Ellie are so pale because Ellie is a, quote, bloodless freak bag, as Amy described her? <laughs> <laughs> I wrote burn, but not really. That is a whole yeah. burn. Bloodless yeah, the burn's about Ellie at this point because it's now no longer coming from anyone except the, like, quote-unquote, older, roustabout kids. And they're all just like, she's goth. But also, like, over the last two seasons, she's gotten less and less goth. Like, now she's just like, right. she wears dark clothes. Right. And all of her hair and also, is hers. And also dog collars. All of, and also dog yeah. collars. True. It's just the makeup I is mean, toned. it is down. not like Amy and them are, like, known for their multicolor wardrobe. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, Amy, Amy's worked really hard on her bangs, so clearly she is in <laughs> that time of a set. Her, her time I mean, harding bangs. She, she's, yeah, oh, no. yeah, she spends time on them. They are Tanya Harding bangs, like, and she, yeah, she leans real hard into it. That shit is feathered as fuck. If you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> Work your angles. Okay. So... Feathered as fuck. Work your friends. Okay, let's talk about JT and Manny. Ugh, we have to, huh? We're going to talk about them. They're like, cute. <laughs> it is, I mean, like, there are a couple of, like, really cute moments in this. Like, um, I don't love that, like, Manny had to have the dream girl slow-mo moment, but if she did, I loved that it was past the cardboard cutout of JT, which JT also at the beginning of the B plot, like hangs his hand over his own cardboard cutout and smirks. So like, I love that. It's just like this callback, like this is just going to live in the mise-en-scene for the rest of this season Mm -hmm. is like, just, we need to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, JT has been crushing on Manny for so long, and we did see, you know, originally that she was not necessarily opposed to it, but then she got distracted by Sully and then Craig, and then we went down this road. Um, So, I mean, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that it didn't happen in one episode, that we've had this, there's the episode of the ad, there's the ad episode where, like, he goes out of his way to invite her and she has a bad time, but then they like I liked that, but it wasn't like in one episode she said yes. I think telling us four epi- five episodes ago that this dance was coming was a smart way to build it in the background. Um Yeah. And I just I mean I do think JT there is growing up and interestingly his growing up is sort of pulling away from some of the like performative Hugh Hefner shit. It's not all gone, but he's becoming more self-aware, which is why it's interesting when Spinner tries to give him advice and he basically just says, nah, thanks, but nah. I'm good. Because first of all, Spinner is the worst person to get advice from, like, in general. Yes. (laughs) As was proven by Craig's storyline, for sure. Um, And I mean, like, you know, I, again, I don't love that this happened in the wake of, of JT's like awful comment about towers. But I do think that it's really sweet that Liberty 
like still cares for him, obviously as a friend enough to make sure that like he is, you know, happy and like to sort of like, even though she is a quote unquote more experienced dater now, uh, <laughs> like she is, willing, <laughs> which I love, uh, she is willing to share her knowledge and give him advice, which, you know, Liberty loves to give advice. So That's like, true. but I, but it's also, it's also very sweet. And, and I like that, like, it looks like they've at least got them headed toward more solid friendship territory. Mm-hmm. Um, where like they actually like talk uh, and interact as friends instead of the the weird antagonism that they kind of had before. Mm-hmm. I mean, the show is good about having friendships, like the reality of just like going to school with people forever, which I think is mm-hmm. right kind of what we were talking about with the last episode with Paige and Ashley, and is happening here too, which is like. Manny and JT is partially just having known each other forever and Liberty. Mm-hmm. And even when we get to the dance episode, right? The fact that as much as Emma and Manny have all their issues, they are each other's essentially oldest friends. Mm-hmm. And obviously they don't frame it the way that Paige does because neither of them are Paige, but like that is still going to be the ultimate like last resort I need a person person mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. see that when they end up together dancing um and Craig is just really new to this world right like literally new and he's well, a Craig's fuck- in his own world and he's a fuck- about. Yeah. uh should we talk about the last episode yeah yeah so there's actually like 72 different plots happening in this episode. Um, (laughs) So it's not like a regular AB type of situation. So we know it's the dance, right? It's the end of school year. Finals are happening. The students are cleaning out their lockers, all that kind of stuff. Um, So one part of the plot is we see um, Hazel and Jimmy and they are blissfully in love or like or wherever we are with this. Um, uh, but now they're sad because Jimmy's going to basketball camp in the United States after the school year. And he's all like, it was a cool idea, but that was before we got together. And now I'm sad about it, etc." So Jimmy has planned to make this dance the best night ever for him and Hazel. <laughs> um, so he's gotten uh, a limo, um, and he tells Jimmy, or he tells Hazel and Paige and Spinner, you know, all about that. So they're meeting up at Jimmy's. They're, as we know, this is a Bollywood themed dance, which means everybody has apparently rented or acquired all of the um, quote unquote Indian style clothing that they could find in Toronto. Jimmy got the wrong clothing. Uh, um, uh, clothing that was, uh, that would typically, I guess, be worn by women. Um, so he feels some type of way about that. So that's how they start off on their evening going to the dance, um, all in these clothes. And they go outside to get the limo and the limo shows up like something out of the movie Son in Law. And the driver of the limo is Billy Ray Cyrus. Why? Who knows? Um, and the Why inside the of the, <laughs> of course it is. And the inside of the limo is kind of tragic as well, um, but it's a limo at any rate. 
suddenly go to dinner at our one fancy restaurant. And Jimmy has said, of course, that he's paying. But when he gets the check, there's three extra meals on there. And he talks to the waiter about it. The waiter, of course, recognizes Spinner and Paige from their previous dining dash and has added their um, uh, meals from that day to their seat. Now, Jimmy does not have enough money for those meals. Spinner and Paige apparently have no money either. So Hazel has to come up with the extra $40 or whatever to pay for those meals. Um, so Jimmy is upset about that. Then they go to leave and Billy Ray Cyrus is getting arrested um, for some reason or another. And he's like, oh, uh, well, I never leave a man behind or some, some such. And so he gets the cops to take them to the dance in a cop car. Again, Jimmy is displeased. When they get to the dance, and I'll talk about this more momentarily, it's actually all been evacuated. Um, and so now Jimmy is really upset. Um, and Hazel's like, it's cool, man. <laughs> I just wanted to hang out with you and our friends and have fun. Like, it doesn't have to be this perfect, quote, per perfect type of evening, right? Um, so eventually Jimmy, you know, gets over himself and they have fun. Okay. So that's that part. Then there is the uh, Caitlin Joey situation um, in which Caitlin and Joey are, you know, having the time of their lives as they're as a couple. And Joey invites Caitlin to move in, which, all right, sure. Um, but then, of course, of course, in the very sort of Hallmark fashion, Caitlin gets a job offer that's going to take her out of town for six months or so. Um, and because she gets this job offer, she agrees to move in with Joey and then tells him that she's not going to go do the job. Now, Joey um, knows how excited she is about this job. And he's like, nope, you should go do the job. Caitlin interprets him telling her to go do the job as him not really wanting her to move in. There's some leaps of logic happening here. So then they have a fight and Joey's like, what, what, what? <laughs> and so then <laughs> they have eventually have a conversation and Kayla re basically reveals that she's scared to leave him. And she, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. So go do your job and come back and we'll be cool. Right? Right. All right. So that's that plot. And then there is, our boy Sean, right, who has is living his life, obviously. We know that his um he was having trouble with his grades in the previous episode. He seems to have been working on that. However, his media immersion grade um is still not passing and Snake shows him that. So Snake's like, Look, you need to be able to pass, so do this extra project, make a database for the shop. And you can get credit for that. So Sean gets to work on that. Um, he turns it in. Nate gives him the credit. Sean passes. Feels overwhelmed with guilt. Um, so he confesses to stealing Snake's laptop, which is, I, I mean, maybe not the most ideal time to do that, but okay. So he confesses. Snake is obviously upset. He tells Sean to leave. 
um, and he does. Uh, later on at the dance, because you know Snake loves a dance, he's there doing his snake thing. Um, and eventually Sean and Ellie show up. Um, Sean tries to talk to Snake. Snake's not really in the mood. Um, Snake goes to get in the car to do something, go somewhere. Sean, uh, Snake's car is not starting. Sean goes up to the car, says, you know, pop the hood, I can help. Um, and he tells Snake what's wrong with the car, tells him how much it'll be, says the snake gets the part. Um, it'll take a long time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of labor. But Sean will do the labor for free. And Snake's like, are you sure? And Sean's like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to make it right, all this stuff. Um, so they uh, more or less make up there. And then also at the dance, there's a fire because <laughs> Marco's decorations are very flammable. And um, it all starts burning up and the sprinklers come on. So everybody has to run outside. And then, um, you know, that's when Hazel and all them show up. So the dance basically moves outside and they're all having their good times. And you see various couples in the background um, at the dance, like Toby and Kendra are there because we had wondered if they were still together. And it seems like at least they are for the dance um, and other people are there as well. And yeah, that's how we end this season. And Marco is there sort of trailed by uh, Dylan and he's yeah. in like, Control mode. I wrote down Marco's flaming curtains because oh, I was like, is, this, is that what's happening here? Is that what? Because they're literally flaming. They're literally very, flaming. Very flammable. Oh, flaming as their owner. Um, yeah. Can, so this can episode we does a lot. That was quite a description. Yeah. Yeah. Can we start at the very beginning? My biggest standing question about this episode is why isn't Emma oh, no. in the halls shouting at people about wasting all of the stuff that is in their lockers? <laughs> They're just throwing it in yes. the trash. Why are they not reusing? Why are they not reducing? Why are they not recycling? It is all just going into the trash. This seems like the golden moment for Emma to like yell at people and I don't understand why she didn't take the opportunity. That's a really mm -hmm. good point. I didn't think about that lack of continuity. Maybe she's in detention, like forever detention. <laughs> Maybe. The fight. Maybe she's just taking a day off. She's she's had a lot of things going on. <laughs> Girl, she needs a day off. It's like it's, okay. it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emma's practicing self care at home. <laughs> Yeah, this episode's a lot. Uh, I didn't realize how much we were supposed to care about Sean. And I don't, I mean, I liked the plot, but it, I mean, we were just talking about mentorship. And so right. suddenly this is like more about Sean and a teacher. Sorry, I cut you off, well, Sonic. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, oh no, I was just going to talk about how cute Jimmy is in his sari instead of his kurta. That was all I was going to say. He I know, I wrote, Jimmy's sari looks fine. It does. I wrote that down. Don't have a gender. Well, um, to go back to the Sean Snake thing, I mean, I think that, because uh, I, like, I had to watch this twice because I, the first time I watched it, I was speed watching. And so I needed to spend a little bit more time with it. Um, and the thing that struck me on the second viewing here is that, like, the thing that leads into to Sean's, like, 
confessing is like snake basically saying, I know that you're going through a lot and you used to talk to me. I hope that we can get back to that point where you can talk to me. And so like, obviously then what the, or not obviously, but like, I think that like the show wants is to sort of like draw those connections between like Sean's thought process. Like I would, the, the reason that Sean isn't talking to Snake anymore isn't, it doesn't have anything to do with Snake or even being a teenager. It's that he feels guilt over this. And that's like what prompts him to confess. Um, I don't know. Like I'm up and down with Snake in this episode because like his outfit at the fucking dance is like, n- no, sir, not, not good. Not good at all. We knew it wouldn't be, but it was even worse. But it was even worse than we knew it would be. It was worse than his Jamaican outfit. If that were possible. I I guess I I was thinking about the safari outfit or whatever, but. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you said that we're supposed to think this is about his guilt over stealing the laptop because it also could just be like, we were closer when I dated your stepdaughter. Right. And now it's weird because oh. you know what happened, right? Like, I do think that... I forgot about that. However we feel about Emma, the breakup between them was very much on Sean. And Emma did all that work and tried. And But I guess there is, before that, was the laptop. Well, I guess at the same time as when the laptop is stolen, right? His what? motivation for stealing the laptop is he's like, fuck all these people. Uh, I mean, I am validated that it came back because I, if you remember when we talked about that, I was like, is this ever going to be discussed? I just don't believe that these people would be like, must just be your chemo. Guess you lost a laptop. Moving right along. (laughs) So true. I mean, Spike, normal Spike would be like, no, but she was also dealing with a lot. I mean, that's the other thing is Snake was gone half of the school year. So for him to be like, we used to talk, it's like, well, you've also been gone. So there's a lot of things. I know. I mean, they're definitely like closing a loop here, right? But I think, I mean, this is also the show, like, you know, Sean's been on a roller coaster throughout the season and maybe it's coming back around to some more stability, right? Some more certainty about who he is and less about who he thinks other people think he is, right? And sort of developing in there. Um, But yeah, obviously the situation with Snake is awkward for all those reasons, right? Because it's not like any random teacher. It's not like he stole Ms. Kwan's laptop. It's somebody who he did have like some type of actual relationship with and connection um, <clears throat> to the whole family, right? Um, so that makes it a little bit different, for sure. And Snake has this weird closeness with his students that I I don't think is wherever to read is like, it's never like inappropriately sexual. So when I say closeness, no. but just like weirdly familiar, right? Yes. And I don't know if, I think that, the media immersion class is sort of doubles as a sort of homeroom space, essentially, mm-hmm. even though it's not what it is. Cause like there's just, and he has a very relaxed demeanor, um, which we've discussed before. So I think that is part of it too, but it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is interesting that, the show is very invested in validating the importance of the skills that Sean has 
Um, mm-hmm. Right. And like really invested in the idea that like, not only is he just like good with cars, but that that is a valuable skill. And I think that there are other places where the class politics here just falls to shit and is just like sloppy. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a real validation. And we've had that for, I mean, going back to like that episode where Craig and him have that conversation about Craig selling the car and him fixing the car and Sean interpreting that as a diss and Craig being like, no, I forget who says to Sean, like what I know about, Oh, Ellie, what I know about cars can be written on the head of a pin. Yeah. Right. So I do think there is a sweetness to the part where Sean is trying so hard to find a way to make it up to, to snake. And so they give him a way to do that. That is very nonverbal, which is part of the problem we've said before with Sean's character is making a nonverbal character interesting is difficult. Um, I don't mean like, I mean like a character who chooses not to speak. I don't mean a character who is someone who is nonverbal, but like a character who's just very shy and quiet or deals with his masculinity that way, which is kind of Sean's role as a follower. So making him good with his hands with cars is like, I think very validating here. Yeah. And I mean, I think it also recognizes like Sean doesn't have parents who would be able to pay for that or whatever. If there was like, you know, Oh, just pay for the computer. Like that's not something he can actually do, but he can make it up with like time and work, which he is fine with doing. I do. So I, by the, by, by this episode, I was so over, I mean, I was over Sean last episode, but one of the things I was thinking about with this episode in particular is, you know, there are two, there are multiple plot lines, but for the grade tens, there are two plot lines, Jimmy quote unquote failing and Sean doing some sort of restorative justice thing with snake. And one of the things I was frustrated about is this season, we did not get very much Jimmy at all. We got one Chris episode and I'm just really tired of the young men of color not having their full on storyline because unfortunately this, the Chris make a storyline, in my opinion, overshadowed the Jimmy storyline. Like I know that that was, that was more there for comedic um, effect. And so I think I really am ready for next season to give us more Jimmy, like give Jimmy something that's not just Jimmy being rich or a hype person or sort of a woke check for Spinner, you know, like I'm really sick of it, (laughs) quite frankly. It's interesting though that you say that because I agree that there's an imbalance and Jimmy is sort of a non-character in this season very much. Although I do think that we got a great, the, uh, uh, the Breakfast Club episode. I think Jimmy really got a lot, and Jimmy's role in this season has really been to have this ongoing thing with Hazel that finally simmers over. I actually liked it because I think it's comedic, but I also think that Jimmy was written, and Aubrey does a good job of making me care about the fact that in his head he has to make this perfect because he's leaving for the summer. And it almost felt like a compliment to the Ferris Bueller episode we talked about, where it's about these characters feeling older and dealing with what that means. Right. So I agree that it's mostly played for laughs, 
But I felt like everyone was laughing but Jimmy. And that last moment between him and Hazel is really about the fact that part of what being a little bit older means is accepting that things won't work. And that all the money and all the best laid plans don't matter if you don't enjoy yourself. So I think you're right, Sonnet. But I at least really felt for Jimmy in this episode. I was kind of over Sean too, but I appreciated that Jimmy got something and got an episode that as much as there's a lot of these plot lines, his is the sort of through line beginning to end, right? He's the person that starts and ends the episode with these sort of a goal that doesn't follow through. So I did like that. Um, it would have been nice if there was more Jimmy or Chris or an Emma episode that isn't about other... I mean, there's other... Obviously, Emma's our white woman, and she's just, like, all in the space, but she doesn't even get to be a kid either. And Hazel no has liberty, the an episode. And no Liberty. No, ha- no Hazel. Very, yeah. With yeah, I mean, I think... This is a very white season. <laughs> I think Chris was there without a hat. Because I saw what? him, like, in the background. Yeah, he's dancing he with his shirt. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. And the He's there with Emma. Yes. And Manny and JT. JT, JT yeah. And... yeah. But no hat, for sure. Yeah. I think that well, I think I just have straight white male fatigue from this season because it was so Craig, so Marco, so Sean. I'm just, I'm just, let's go. Let's go. Bring in some more people, please. I mean, Marco's not straight, but. That's true. Sorry, I meant cis. I meant cis male, but yes, also Marcos. and also. I mean, Marcos. There doesn't get a lot. I mean, half. Of, I mean, we talked really a lot. Marcos, but in comparison, Marco is like, yeah. I mean, but he's also going through. I also think that we did have a season that was all about Jimmy, and like the Jimmy Ashley oh, saga, right? So there was a season where, because when the show started, that was the central energy of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about writing him back. Jimmy's role has been to be the good friend, like Marco, right, in so many of these episodes. Um, I mean, I guess there is a lot of Marco, but he's often, there's only really two episodes that are about him and not him and Ellie. Um, and I wonder if he gets the shit beat out of him. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's so many characters and they keep adding them. And as Jacinta said, right, several of them maybe were added just to be an antagonist. But I, as you guys have strongly hinted, the J crew is here to stay. We're supposed to care about them, even though they just seem like a bunch of chuckleheads. Um, but like they're here. Um, also, I didn't realize it was Billy Ray Cyrus. Until just now, even though both I know what Billy Ray Cyrus looks like, and there's a special like acknowledgement of him in the credit. Oh, is there? I didn't notice that, but I was just like, Brendan, at the what'd you say? Did you just go back to look at the credits just now? No, no, no. I when I watched the episode, I was like, "Huh, I wonder why they specially acknowledged Billy." Ray. <laughs> so I because I watched it twice. Like the first time, I was like, 
I know that that's a country star who is like a big deal, but I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't quite, I mean, because like, I know that like he has existed like in popular culture as Miley's dad, but like the last time that I really actually paid any attention to him, he had a very pronounced mullet when uh, Achy Breaky Heart was out. Like I, I was a kid when that song came out. And so like, I just have like this one image of what Billy Cyrus, Billy Ray Cyrus looks like and that is not it and I was like but he also looked familiar I just couldn't place him I was like so on the second time I watched it I was like oh uh yeah some people some people in this podcast didn't watch Hannah Montana and it showed oh I did not watch I mean I I did I was it was I was not the age demographic for that show because I still, like I said, I was a kid when Achy Breaky Heart came out. So I was definitely not a kid when Hannah Montana came out. I mean, the other thing, so I like to think of Billy Ray now because he is so much a Tell me more. as Lil Nas X backup singer. His Lil Nas X's backup singer, <laughs> which not his backup singer. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I okay, he's so fine in this episode. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I'm like, you are a good looking man. You are a very he definitely man. looks better without the mullet. Like, that's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> most, most people I do. Mean, most oh, people do. I can okay. tell you a lot of lesbians that look very good with yes, mullets yes. right now. I did not say all, I said most. <laughs> In fact, his daughter would be one of those people that looks very good with a mullet right now. Well, All right. so speaking of yeah, <laughs> that's a wow. That segue. Uh, Can we just talk about in the time uh, of COVID? It's a lesbian segue. Go ahead. Can we just talk about in the time of COVID? It was really interesting to evaluate how they were because Joey's like, "You should move into this pod," and I was like. <laughs> what is going on? Because um, I was like, it's too soon. You need to test first. That was what you thought. I was like, oh, this is like, just going at lesbian relationships, Dean. Of course, move into the pod. Whatever. They've known each other for decades. I know. Caitlin is just always there. Caitlin has been parent, like, babysitting, right? Sydney was out there making her do her laundry, right? <laughs> Caitlin's like Harry Potter. She lives under the stairs. She <laughs> gets stuck in the window. I mean, so the 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 like quirky rom com energy that always descends on the show whenever Caitlin is involved which <laughs> is just like when she's buying the fucking monogrammed towels on the most like bootleg <laughs> website that is just like oh monogramtowels.net.ca is just yeah, like I mean, do you just buy monogram towels when you move in with someone or is I'm sorry his and her that's rather that's not how we did that I mean I, well, I just moved in with my girlfriend three four months ago and I'm still waiting for my fucking towels that's all I'm saying <laughs> doesn't feel real yet <laughs> yeah i guess i mean this is another like trying to like you said just to close the loop on this storyline right because they're like mm -hmm. 
we've had this chaotic rom-com lady energy in the show for a season-ish, and uh, now we're going to send her away for six to nine months. Goodbye. Shoot her in the sun. Like, you did your work. Uh, So, like, is someone else going to get sick? Like, I just am so, you're tired, Sonnet. I'm tired of these adults. And I even like Caitlin and Joey. I like Snake and Spike, but I'm just so tired of being asked to care. It's it's a very it's a very weird tone. It's like it's a weird tone balance to try to maintain because like like if this is like they just I don't know you're in one lane trying to like follow the kids shenanigans and the and the dance and everything and like all that's going on and then you get this just such a wildly different uh it's a little whiplashy like trying to like move back and forth between these like these storylines yeah yeah as a scholar of uh remakes reboots (laughs) and the like um i would just say that those storylines i probably said this before are not there for new viewers uh and so like it is weird but it really is there for the older viewers who would may still be watching the new degrassi and it's one of those things that whenever they reboot a show they try to figure out the balance of like uh like fuller house and stuff like that you know they've obviously got the kids things going on in that reboot but obviously like a big chunk of the audience is there to see uh dj and stephanie and all them and see what they're up to uh so it is i think that same sort of thing whether or not it's successful is variable yeah i guess i just wonder like which of the the old school viewers are watching this i mean like and i'm not saying i mean like we're we're sitting here as a bunch of adults who are watching a show made for teens but like i guess that like (laughs) if, if that is the sort like it's just it seems like too totally different audiences to pitch to in one 22 minute episode Oh, it definitely is. But I think like, so like the Saved by the Bell reboot's coming out, right? And sort of the big draw of that is that it does have like Mark Paul Gossler and Lark Voorhees and Mario Lopez and all these other people involved. But obviously it's not going to be just about them because otherwise it would not be a show. <laughs> it is about, it's about the high school kids. There is a sitcom thing though that I think is a little bit different where like the sort of sitcom, because this isn't a sitcom, and I think that's what's harder for me, too, is that the registers are different, whereas so many sitcoms are built around, like, multiple generations mm-hmm. having sort of similarly goofy things, and even if it's real world, it's sort of all on the same level. Here, I think as much as this might be for multiple audiences, the, I mean, Snake had cancer, and they had to deal with that. They had to deal with having a new baby. And mm-hmm. then they have this ongoing career woman story, which is just very yeah, different. I, that mm-hmm. I think, and I think Snake being the teacher also makes it easier. And Joey being Craig's, essentially his like stepfather at this point, or his guardian mm-hmm. and i think you're right it obviously is but i just yeah i mean I, I think that part of the reason <laughs> yeah, 
there. Part of the reason that I don't care is because the like Caitlin's reaction is so wild to me. And yeah. I and I think that like if so mm-hmm. like if you are trying to so like her response is literally like the like when she gets the news that she got the grant or whatever to do the um the HIV AIDS story, her, her literal response and I put this in quotes, I wrote it down. The man I love asked me to move in and I'm not going to turn him down. Not for this, not for anything. And so for me, the thing that I think made me really angry about this is if this is a show for, I mean, and I know that this isn't where she ends up landing, but like, if this is a show that is meant to sort of like teach kids about like how to sort of like grow up and like deal with the real world, like, I know that she quote unquote learns her lesson by the end, but like, it just is such a weirdly wildly retrograde sort of like conclusion to come to and to make that decision unilaterally and then get upset when Joey says you should take advantage of this opportunity to automatically jump to think that that is his rejection of her. It's just like, like, the the writing is bad, but then also like uh, thinking about the sort of like ramifications. Like if this is a show that like is in many ways like set up to be a didactic show, you know, like what is the what is the sort of like lesson here? Like that that she is the weirdly sort of like conservative one, and she has to be taught by the man to follow her own dreams. Like it's it's just like it is it yeah. is. It was really infuriating that, like, this is the sort of lesson here. Um, And I know that, like, if you're pitching to the older, like, Gen 1 Degrassi audience, like, it might register differently. But that doesn't mean that you can't consider, like, how how it lands with the younger audience. Well, yeah, for sure. Too. I mean, older folks are are also susceptible to trash messages. (laughs) I do do care about these people. I just got weary. Like, I like Caitlin, and part of why I get frustrated is I am wearied by the way she's written. In the Mm -hmm. same way that Tiffany, she is often just this version of a career woman that we see in rom-coms at the same time that this movie comes out in the late 90s and early aughts where it is this high-powered career woman who somehow is super successful but has a, like, a failure of emotional intelligence that doesn't quite make sense. I think though, this is also meant to be like a callback of sorts to how they got together, which was she did get off a plane to uh, stay with him at the airport during the holiday in a very I dramatic fashion. Which was and so that's how months. they oh. <laughs> that's how they got together. But now Joey's like, okay, we're together. You have this opportunity. You should go. And now she's the one trying to get off the plane that she hasn't even gotten on yet. Ugh. I just yeah no. It's hard because I actually like Joey in this episode, and I think that he as a character is not being trashed. Yeah, absolutely. Like his responses, his responses are all right, like all correct, but like it's. And I think on his side, we're supposed to see a set of growth 
that is supposed to be both a reflection of that Christmas episode and a callback to the fact that in the original, as we now know, those of us who didn't watch, there was cheating and all this stuff. And that here, we are to understand that their adult growth is such that they can trust each other enough that she can mm-hmm. go away and do this thing and the relationship won't exa- like expire, right? Yeah. That she can have two things. But the way that we get there, and it's partially because, as you said, just in, this episode is like five storylines happening. So mm-hmm. even if I think, I don't know that we would have liked it anymore if it was just two, but even if it was just two storylines happening, we could have at least expanded on it a little bit. Um, I mean, this episode is trying to do so many stories at once that they're at the same yeah. restaurant, aren't they? As, well, only one yeah. fancy restaurant. Because they were like, exactly, one set, shoot once, be done. I mean, right? They're just like, in and in. You know, guys, I was just thinking about this. Technically, there's two restaurants because the food court. Well, and is the dog. The restaurant they go to. The mall is and the dog. Uh, <laughs> sorry. The mall is like some weird alternate dimension. Don't take away my my chicken samples. What are those called? The little like barbecue chicken. Never mind. Anyway. Oh yeah. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> not not in the age of COVID. Bourbon chicken. Bourbon chicken. R.I.P. Never again. Yeah. Never again. Um, and also, I mean, this is the last episode of the season, so basically they're sprinting toward the finish line with everybody. Seriously. Like, gotta wrap this up. Wrap this up. Wrap this up. Ugh. Put a bow on it. And clearly the Caitlin actress is like, I don't want to be here next season. (laughs) 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 So they were like, well, how do we emotionally make this satisfying? Hit me up the season after next. Put a bow on it, set it on Hit me up the season after next. Maybe I'll come back. And maybe I'll be ready halfway through next season. So just say six to nine months, I'll be... All over the world, making a documentary series about HIV/AIDS that's in all countries. Okay, print it. Done. Also, just as a quick check-in for folks, I mean, I was living abroad during that time, and I think you did too, Brendan. At some point, there were lots of technologies that could facilitate long-distance relationships. So, I phone. Well, there's that, and (laughs) internet cafes were a thing in the early aughts. Oh yeah. That you know, I was living in, in Bosnia in a transitional uh, democracy, and we had all the internet. So, just a little check in, like with Caitlin. It doesn't mean you'll never hear from him again. But I mean, the but the episode is also like setting up this uh, interesting possibility for sexual tension between Caitlin and Tomas because, like, it we we have seen in his interactions, we. I don't think he's straight. Yeah, he, is he gay? Yeah, oh, gay. I didn't know that. He's gay. Wait, yeah. when did we learn that? Yeah, we established that in the episode well, like, where, well, we knew it before, but then in the episode where Sydney, when Sydney comes to work with the with the the poinsettia to be like, "Hi, are you honing in on my man?" Tomas comes in, says something, leaves. Sydney tries to do fake girl talk, where she's like, "Oh, I'd be hard to work with someone that hot." And she says to to Sydney like that. She tells him she's he's gay. We've known he's gay yeah. for a while. But I mean, to be fair, we all have sexual tension <laughs> with Tomas. 
But, yeah. he, but he just doesn't reciprocate. But yeah. but yeah, that was established in the Christmas I mean, episode. But in fairness, just because that. a woman reads a man as gay doesn't necessarily mean he self-identifies as gay. <laughs> okay. No, 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 okay. He does. It was made pretty clear. It's been made clear, and I think that that is the show. I'm just trying. Well, I was trying to. This is, but I also think that's the show's. I was just saying, I think that's the show's alibi for why he is handsy with her in a way that's woefully inappropriate for her uh, his her boss to be handsy with her at work. You don't talk, but do you talk to your boss about your monogram tells? Well, so here's my question then. How do we read his obvious disappointment? Like, because, like, he comes in and, like, I don't know. Anyway, it's fine. Whatever. Like, there's a weird, huh? But he wasn't going. He was disappointed for her career. Before he gives her the news, like, there's a weird thing that happens like in his because like he doesn't con- like congratulate her like it's the his reaction to the anyway whatever it's fine i misread it and that's fine i forgot that he was gay i just like it's there's something that's weird in his response that's all i know now so No, I, I think you're right. I think that part of, I think he's also part of this package of rom-com tropes that they're like pushing into this thing, right? Because she has a hot gay boss who occasionally is her sounding board when she should just go talk to Spike. But Maybe Spike he's is dating just like, that waiter from the restaurant. <laughs> the waiter who goes to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's true. To go back to the the adults only know each other. <laughs> There's only like five adults in this neighborhood, so they all. Well, know, now there's seven because of Marco's parents, so the bubble is expanding. <laughs> I mean, just because we saw Marco's parents once and we saw Manny's mom once, I don't know if we can count them as part of the bubble. Good point. Good point. Fair, fair. Although they go to the restaurant. The restaurant is the hub. That's true. <laughs> the adult dot. I do. The adult dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess. I guess adults don't go to the dot because that, that is that is shade dot to you. Well, no, it's Italian. So, it's ristorante dot. So I didn't. Okay, so I didn't rewatch the episodes before we taped this because I watched them like a week ago. So I know you did watch them more recently, Tiffany. So perhaps that moment is supposed to be our. If it's there, is also supposed to be our like, is Joey changed moment? And the show is just compressed so much time that that is perhaps what it's there for. Um, because I do think that this episode is supposed to be like, Joey's all better now. <laughs> he fixed it. Uh, <laughs> he took her to Shay Dot, and he was... Uh, okay, so I have written in my notes, no mistake, hound dog, let's giddy up. Yes. Is that something that Billy Ray Cyrus says? Because I don't yes. remember now who says it. Okay. <laughs> and I, but I have it underneath the, my notes about Joey asking her to move in. So for a second, I was like, did Joey say that to ask her to move in? No mistake, Hound Dog. Get it up. Get it up. Yeehaw. 
There you go. There you go. Well, now we have a title for this episode. The Yeehaw Agenda. Yeah. Here for it as a country queer. Um, I was wondering, just as an aside, who's watching Angie in this episode? Like, where is what? What is going on with Angie? Sydney. Sydney's watching her. Clearly, none of the people in her family. No, he's at the dance. Craig. Craig no, he's at the dance Craig taking really pictures. Right, right. Maybe Always Angie's forever. also at the dance. Angie's under the table, <laughs> just hanging out. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So should we talk about our favorite thing? Uh, my favorite, favorite thing? I don't know. I have many. Uh, but, uh, after JT actually asks Manny to the dance and they walk into the school, he holds the door open for her and she curtsies and then he like clicks his, jumps and clicks his heels as he enters. And it's, it's just very, very cute. <laughs> that and the, as a more experienced dater, I'd like mm-hmm. to offer some mm-hmm. advice, which also was part of that. <laughs> Like, I love that it took, like, absolutely zero seconds for Liberty to, like, capitalize on, like, her dating experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gotta flex. Mm -hmm. Gotta flex. So, I have three, and I'll go in reverse order. Uh, The last episode, it's when um, Sean is trying to get Snape to let him look at the car, and he says, I won't steal your engine promise it's really good yes okay and then in our house when amy's like complaining about sean dating ellie and alex is just like amy you broke up with him (laughs) (laughs) she just walks away (laughs) and then of course of course my very favorite thing is in um i want candy before the fight we get a glimpse in Alice's locker, and there is a poster of Ja Rule. In the door. <laughs> <laughs> that was why is there a Ja Rule poster in the door? <laughs> why not? Why not? I just have questions. I have so many questions. Feel the moment. Oh my god, so good! Uh, my favorite of all time, and you have to catch it real fast. And I want candy. Is Spinner's tongue ring. Oh, yeah. Did y'all know this? Yeah. Did you know Spinner had a tongue ring? Yeah. What? I've never noticed that Gavin has a tongue ring. It is a lie. That, and then also just Alex reading uh, Emma to Filth, which was very mean, we've all established, was also very, very funny. So that, and then also Emma's bad dancing, because that oh, is Oh, it is so worth bad. Watching. Definitely worth revisiting in The Power of Love. Emma doing some sort of Bollywood fusion dance. Yeah. Popping. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, it's me. I, uh, what did I, oh, I had two. Well, one is, we already talked about it's Spinner's like lip and like wobbling, and then he's crying in the movies. Yeah. And I want candy. Um, And then in the last episode, the power of love, just like Dylan, like chasing after Marco, the little bit we get to see of Marco, just like managing his anxiety about the dance, which is adorable. I do like that they just like are a couple and that is a thing now that is just like established in the background 
so yeah, I really liked that. I also just like that the episode for all the shit that we had to do with the season ended with this dance. Yeah. Just like them dancing outside. Well, I think mm-hmm. all happens. Mm-hmm. And I think also by having the fire, they also like sidestep the like a king and queen yeah. drama mm-hmm. or anything like that, which is gone. Because I was like, how are they going to do that with Marka? And they just, like, avoid it all together. Yeah. And just put them all outside. Yeah, I like that um, one of the things, and actually, just since I briefly touched on it, is um, I actually also noticed Toby and Kendra in the background. But I like that generally, like, Degrassi is really smart about using these large group scenes to do the work of, like, basically making you not forget that, you know, some people are friends and some people are dating people and sort of, like, using mm-hmm. it as a way to give us a status update um, or, like, you know, just to, mm-hmm. sort of to maintain the, uh, you know, like, literally in the background, just maintain those storylines so that they can pick them up again later. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, honorable mention... The fact that Jay thinks that the two-handed discount is a new concept right. or a cool thing to say, I was <laughs> like, this is just so dumb and uncool. Yes. And I don't know what movie you took that from, but you are, this is like by far the least creepy or cool thing Jay has ever said. And I was like, all right. I, and I like that, what the, I mean, I think Daniel Clark gets better as the season goes on. And I think that that is one of those moments where you can even tell that Sean is like, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, are we stealing? Because that's what I really want to do. And related to that is when they get lariated by the security guard. And they're yes. like a WWE <laughs> situation. So they can't escape. Yep. Clothesline. Okay. Uh, I And, and mm-hmm. I also, I, I mean, another thing that I'm looking at my notes again, like, I like how Ash actually takes the Queen of Doom uh, nomenclature that Spin puts on her and then uses that in her as her name for the Elvis contest. She says she's Elvira, Queen of Doom. Um, Yes. So taking it up and owning it. I mean, it is decidedly not cool. It is a very weird move for that. I mean, like, that whole scene was a little surreal. Everything about that. Yeah, weird. yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, like, the, the, she sort of, like, took it and repurposed it. You've never been to an Elvis impersonation contest in the middle of the day in your local mall food court? I mean, in the middle of the not day. and then called myself Elvira, Queen of Doom, as I entered an Elvis contest. There's a lot of variables that have to align. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, at my mall we did it right in front of the Macy's instead of the food court. So we did it in that atrium with the flowers. <laughs> well So predictions? Yeah, so I think that my predictions are more like questions about who is gonna be returning for season four. And those two questions revolve around is Ashley coming back and is Caitlin gonna be in the season? So like I I mean prob like at what point is Ashley sort of like dissatisfaction with her life at Degrassi going to ask like uh, escalate into something else um, and then like 
Caitlin obviously is probably not around, at least for the first half of next season. Yeah, the show has a hard time knowing what to do with characters who aren't in relationships. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, the storylines with characters that aren't relationship are resolved within an episode, usually. And so that puts at a disadvantage someone like Ashley, who has been pushed further and further out to the hinterlands, mm-hmm. right? Um and that means we get more and more. I mean, I do think also that's why you have a character like Jimmy, who's also just like here as a friend so often. I guess my predictions are more wishes, right? Obviously, we want more Jimmy and Hazel because I think both of them are so often friend friend material. Um, I imagine that we're going to ultimately have some sort of coming out episode with Marco and his parents hopefully, maybe, or it'll just never be resolved. Um, (laughs) And presumably, Little Birds have suggested forcefully that I'm supposed to care about these (laughs) chuckleheads. So I suspect that they are going to be more further integrated. I I won't promise that you'll care about them next season. It might take until season five. Oh, good. It's a long road. Oh, good. It's an investment. It's an investment. I will pack granola for this journey. <laughs> I suspect. Uh, I am interested also to see if we can see what actually JT and Manny look like together if we are going to have them as a couple. Because mm-hmm. I think... And if that's going to be a trash fire or something in the middle, I do think it would be interesting to have it be something in the middle. I think that one of the things we said about Paige and Spinner is like, besides that one episode where they have the fight, like they're just so like ride or die in ways that otherwise don't really make sense always. So it would be nice to have a like dealing with relationship and not a relationship that's either falling apart or perfect. Uh, but they'll all be older and not wiser definitely not wiser (laughs) grade 11 and grade 10 coming soon holla holla and we'll get there whatever it takes whatever it takes I know I can make it through if I hold out Nope, nope, not doing this. Oh, come on. <laughs> At least once. Not it's the end of the, the end of it's the end of the no. season. No. Please. Mm-hmm. No. That's there are like ten more seasons. But, okay. But like <laughs> But like will you play with this just once a season? Once a season. No? Ah. Uh, okay. No. What are you doing, Brendan? <laughs> Fine. Bye. Wait, are you seeing Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah. Is he Canadian? Huey Lewis. What? Is he Canadian? That's the power of love. No. Yeah. Maybe he is. No. Probably not. What? It's, that's not Never Huey Lewis in the news. Everybody's talking about Huey Lewis. The power of love. That's the song by Huey Lewis oh, in the is. news. That yeah. The last episode is named for. Is that the name? That's the power of love. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter at That Bleeding Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeding Podcast. 
listen to and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, amongst other places that grab podcasts out of the ether. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other fellow Degrassi nerds find our shenanigans. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous off his fifth solo album, The Great Make Believer, as our new theme music. Learn more about Chris and his music at chrisrobley.com, that's R-O-B-L-E-Y, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter at chrisrobley. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Look for another episode from us in a couple weeks.